Hello, thanks for tuning in to Peak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. The episode ahead is with Rob Hanna. Rob is a father, he's a husband, he's been a CEO, a co-founder, a founder, an advisor, an award-winning community service creator, an activist, and he's formed his own religion to be able to provide fasting guidance to those interested in the practice, which is why we connected and the bulk of what we talk about is multi-day fasting. I've been multi-day fasting for three years now, seasonally, and Rob's been doing it for 30 years. He worked with a mentor who had a lifelong medical practice based around fasting and lived to be 102. Rob shares a ton of wisdom in this conversation. I'm, I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity. Rob's fasted for 28 days, and uh, that's with just water, and has done a 14-day dry fast. So he's, he's really got a deep level of wisdom and experience to share. We talk about the principles of the practice, what to consume, how to approach the refeed process, and there's a lot here. I really appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoy. Thank you. All right, I'm here today with Rob Hanna. How are you? I'm doing great, Case, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's it's a privilege, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be fun. Absolutely. Really looking forward to having this conversation with you. We had connected online about the topic of, of fasting and, and multi-day fasting, and you came across as someone with expertise in this area and and, and a deep set of some knowledge and, and experience and I'm really really excited to learn more about that and, and hear your, your story and and learn learn from you in, in this realm I appreciate that I'm, I'm I don't know if I'm necessarily sort of a global authority but you know I've been fasting for for three decades now and and I got into fasting under the mentorship of somebody who's had a lifelong medical practice in fasting so that was helpful and uh, it did sort of consume uh, a lot of my curiosity for a period of time, but I'm sort of at a place right now where it's just what I do without sort of rationale or reasoning. I'm, I'm not so much as obsessed with, you know, the granularities of measuring everything and of finding out why. It's really much more like a nice day out sailing where you're just happy to go where the wind blows you and, and just enjoy the ride. Beautiful. Yeah, I, that resonates with me as as someone who has been doing this for just two years now, but the impetus, the catalyst for doing it is because it's so enjoyable. Once I sort of learned the practice, I love it. That's, I think the most powerful thing you can say about it. Like I'm not the type of person who does things for very long if they're painful or if it's quote unquote, one of those, you know, grinding disciplines. No way. I would never ever have fasted um, the way I have over these past 30 years if it wasn't a constantly evolving and, and joyful and net positive um, experience. And, and I mean that in, during the fasting, not like, oh, I'm getting through this horrible, you know, desert slog to the next oasis where I can finally relax. No, it was absolutely, as you, as you pointed out, just enjoyable in the process of fasting. Yes, I, I agree. And, and I'm hearing from other people as well, as this practice is being shared and, and spread through my small circle of, of friends where they're looking forward to these seasonal multi-day fasts that we're sort of participating in, in, in the small circle on, online. And I can jump back to say that when, when I first came across the, the multi-day fasting, I had uh, COVID December, 2020, didn't have any symptoms aside from losing my taste and my smell. And a voice inside me said to fast for three days. And I did, and it, I could taste my food again afterwards. And that was sort of my, the start to it was an intuitive sort of absolutely whisper that that i should fast and i think you had a similar sort of start to it i absolutely did and just to just for the audience's sake when when i speak about fasting which there's a lot of noise around it these days and a lot of bro science i mean an absolute strict uh, abstinence of any nutrition or anything taken in the mouth except for pure water and or with dry fasting only air no water no food nothing and i know a lot of people believe that fasting can be done with teas and coffees or the snake, uh, whatever that, that snake, snake oil or snake juice stuff is, but it's, it's absolutely untrue. That's dieting. And I mean that from the point of view of, of what the body experiences, it's an all or nothing affair and your body just does not have the same transformation. If anything is coming into your mouth, that is of any nutrient 
uh, you know, or even psychologically perceived to be a nutrient because your body reacts to that. And uh, there's even cephalic insulin response like Pavlov's dog, where your pancreas will secrete insulin in anticipation of a meal. So, you know, how you how you sort of discipline yourself in a fast is is consequential as well as your environment. But to your point, absolutely, it was an intuition. Absolutely, I had herniated discs in my neck. I thought my life was over. I had four medical opinions. Every every physician that I saw and specialist said, hey, you have to have surgery right away. I was in constant pain on Vicodin, such that I was in an ever-evolving fugue state every four hours of you know coming into basic consciousness and then doping myself out to get the pain away. And that went on for about a month. And then, you know, I was in my room and it just, the voice came to me fast, just like that. And that's how it all started. Um, so from a, from, a, from a point of acute pain, being thrust into a corner and, and the only way out being fasting, which, you know, is not unusual because fasting is in this modern day and age is such a, a, an arcane, misunderstood or esoteric practice that makes that has no support, makes no sense to the wide variety of, 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 of medical professionals and others who would argue against it and call it starvation, yada, yada, yada. There's so much headwinds against doing it correctly in alignment with what has been a multi-thousand year you know, practice that it's hard to really f- discover it unless you're really pushed into a corner or have an intuitive calling and, and are willing to welcome it and actually you know, explore it. So totally agree with, with that experience. And when you had that voice to you and say fast, had you been exposed to any sort of information or storytelling around fasting up, up to that point? Or? I did, as a matter of fact. And what was fascinating about it, my grandmother was Hungarian and, and emigrated to Canada. Uh, my mom's mom uh, had grown up with fasting and she was always suspicious of you know modern medicine and doctors and wanted to be as far from them as possible you know aside from severe you know accident or something like that so she used fasting as a way of of just maintaining her health throughout her life and and she told me about it when i was a little kid and she even gave me a book on fasting um when i was you know like not quite into middle school and what was interesting about that voice hitting me is that I didn't really kind of make the connection. It was just fast. I go, oh, I'm fast. Oh, grandma did it. I didn't even think about that. I was just, okay, I'll fast. And I started, you know, fasting and I stopped taking my pain meds and everything. And every day I felt better and better. And then I got into about the third or fourth day and I got, oh my God, I don't know how to break a fast. Because I remember, and that's when I thought about my grandma. My grandmother told me the most consequential thing about fasting is breaking it correctly. And you could, she said, you could do both them great harm and also provide great benefit depending on how well you break the fast. And so I went, I couldn't find her book and everything. I started freaking out. Then I went online. I'm like, and I, and that's when I realized, you know, the earlier statement about there not being anything out there supportive, let alone instructive about how to fast multi-day correctly. And then eventually I found two doctors who did one was just in San Antonio, not far from here. And the other was up in New York. And uh, I immediately called the, the one, tried to reach the one down here in San Antonio, but there was only voicemail, no answer, no response. And, and then I got the doctor on New York on the phone and that was Dr. Stanley Bass. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll work with you. And he says, you know, send me 200 bucks and then, you know, and then I'll, I'll, I'll start to go with it. I go, doc, you don't understand. I go, I'm in the middle of a fast right now. I need help right now. And he goes, I promise you, I promise you, I, I'll send you the money. He goes, okay, fine. And so, you know, he said, I sent, I sent the check. It didn't get it till I had already broken the fast, but he worked with me from that point on every day. And then he helped me with the most consequential part, which was breaking the fast correctly, which made all the difference in the world. Wow. That's, it's amazing, especially back, back then when there was so much less sort of information, like you got a book from your, from your grandmother directly that sort of planted the seed. And then when it, then you just dove, dove right in and, and uh, experienced the benefits yeah. firsthand. Oh yeah. Every day was less and less pain. And by the, the, by the ninth day, my pain was completely gone. And then he said, well, fast one extra day after all symptoms are relieved, because even with your condition that you have, your body's probably not fully, you know, um, 
addressed it um, in the fasting state. And that's when he put me on a diet that would help continue the therapeutic effects. But he said fast for always, his principle is always fast for a day after the, the, the symptoms, the visible or the felt symptoms disappear. And then that way um, you'll feel good after you break your fast. And this is an interesting point most people don't realize is that there is regression the moment you, bake, you break a fast. Um, I know a multi-day fast is that you, your body does seem to retreat back 24 hours, maybe 48 hours to wherever it was before, um, as it starts to work with the, 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 the challenge of digesting and processing food, which it hasn't been burdened by for this entire period. So, so that was an, an interesting insight. That is interesting. Yeah. When, when you were experiencing that, how, how do you perceive what is happening within you during this? during this period? I know there's a lot of, you know, scientific ways to describe, you know, the individual processes, but what, how do you see yeah. it? How do you see it? Well, there's, there's, I think, well, first of all, I mean, every time I fast, it's, it's both a cumulative and, and an emergent experience. So the fact that I fasted as much as I have to date, I'm not going to have the same experience I had when I first started fasting, not at all. And I'm going to continue to deepen and have a different experience of fasting simply because I'm starting from a different, you know, level of metabolic familiarity and strength um, to to fast well and, and with ease. So the the difference in a fast, if I think the generic difference in that's universal across all fasts is that your body goes through a period of of, of transformation from the feds, from the externally fed state to the internally fed state. And those, and those phase changes will always occur. Um, even if you're say, you know, the, the term that everybody likes to equate with fasting is ketosis. Well, ketosis is not necessarily fasting. Your body is certainly metabolizing, um, fats and creating ketones, but it's also different when you're in a fed state than when you're in the fasting state. So as your body, if you're, let's say your, your, your diet is, is not necessarily one to, to put you into ketosis at all, at all, you'll have that of sort of very um, visceral experience of transitioning into being on ketosis, which is very interesting because in many ways it's, it's much less, it's easily much less inflammatory. It's easily much less burdensome on the system. Um, and uh, it's also, you, you don't have the same sort of noise that you get from in, a, in the peaks and valleys and roller coasters of a blood sugar um, experience, a high blood sugar experience is peak. That really has um, a profound difference in divergence. And it's really hard to experience that until you actually get into the fasting state, you can compare the two. So, so every fasting state will have that sort of trans that, that phase change, that transformational stage where your, your metabolism is switching over. Um, the other thing it'll have that's universal is the cessation of digestive processes, which is, is it, which is an internal quieting um, and a rest, a, a physiological rest that the body never otherwise experiences, except if you're sleeping on an empty stomach. It's somewhat to being like asleep while you're awake digestively. Um, so that's, that's powerful. And then if you have multi-state or multi-day fastings, you can transition into the third state, which is where your body gets into that sort of mind drop, uh, you know, beta hydroxybutyrate brain, where your brain is just absolutely clear of noise. And it's just like, it's all signal. And you have that very almost animalistic adaptive state to your environment, which is profound. It is. So yeah, that, that I, that's what I love about fasting is getting to that, that realm, you know, we can talk about that in, in a variety of terms, but it, in, you know, at the physical level, it's just sort of ulti ultimate clarity, mental clarity and mental rest. You know, you don't have a lot of hyperactive aerobic thinking, <laughs> you know, you're just, you're basically just absorbing and processing, you know, the environment around you. And it's, it's, it's like bliss. Beautifully said. And this has been the most astounding part of it for me is access to that realm, to that state. I, I kind of describe it as a super state to where sensations are brighter and more vibrant. The mood is great. Energy is high. Mind is clear. Absolutely. That's absolutely. You are, 
you're basically revealing what what uh, what our bodies are are really programmed to be. It's kind of like we have Ferraris underneath these Hyundai's that we're driving around, you know. But the the but the Ferraris have never been tuned. They've never been cared for. They've been left out in fields to rust, or and so it's like any high performance, you know, vehicle. You have to maintain it, and and fasting is maintenance. Fasting is allowing the body to basically realign itself to its original blueprint, and you know, flush out all the the clogged filters, however you want to put it. You know, the papillae in the tongue that allows us to taste turns over on average all the cells in nine days. So a nine to ten day fast, you come out with a pristine tongue like a newborn. Wow. So your 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 taste and your ability to for to recognize flavor profiles is off the charts. Whereas, you know, the foods that we eat today are so filled with hyper, you know, toxins and everything else and excitotoxins just to make us addicted to whatever it is that we're eating that's processed. You know, our our tongues are just constantly being hammered on the anvil of commercialism. So it's remarkable we can taste anything. (laughs) I I remember I remember I had a client who was on his 33 day, but had a 33 day fast and he broke it and he goes, he goes, Jesus, Jesus Christ, I can't eat iceberg lettuce tastes like ice cream. It's so sweet. And it's, that's literally the sensitivity of what we have been gifted with that we are so far from, from experiencing these days that, that fasting helps to reveal to us again. Wow. Yeah. And, and it makes sense from an evolutionary perspective where if there was no food present, we would need to sort of kick into a higher gear, not, you know, yeah dissolve into like a state of starvation and pain yeah. which so many people sense from like acute hunger they're like ouch i'm hungry like for lunch and they assume that that's just gonna get worse and worse but it really it kicks into this new gear we're like all right we gotta kick things up a notch there's no food present yeah and, and, and that's even when we were in nature where we had none of this stuff that we have today so we were already hyper functional you know, back then. And so imagine, you know, it's kind of like, you know, having a, the, the Hubble telescope lens pulled off. Okay, super, super clear now, you know, you're checking out animals five miles away, you can smell them downwind, you know, things like that. Totally insane. But yeah, without a doubt. I have so many questions in mind now. Um, one was about the strict water approach. I haven't actually, so I haven't done strict water. So I guess I haven't actually fasted it. I've been incorporating zero liquids. So including tea, coffee, and just like salt thing, things that are just, you know, zero yeah. calories. Well, don't, don't do that. And I, and I, I don't, I don't mean that to say like, don't do it ever do it if you like doing that. But if you're trying to achieve what has been sort of the, the, the similar perspective from thousands of years of fasting, it's water, pure water alone or nothing at all. And that is, it's kind of like that last fraction of a percent is all the difference in the world. The body literally is all or nothing. Imagine, imagine like you're the Tesla Gigafactory and you decide to, you know, um, not build batteries except for two or three, but you want everybody on staff to build those two or three batteries. So it's like you have this entire organism now that's not shutting down that is just simply staying on board to process your tea and and your and your minerals and your salt and your supplements it's 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 a huge waste of of not only energy but the body doesn't epigenetically switch on and 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 part of the what interesting thing about our genetic heritage is that we can turn on and off you know gene function based upon environmental signals. And one of the environmental signals is a total absence of food. And that turns on different gene expressions, which allows the body to kick into a mode that it otherwise doesn't kick into. So that simple little bit is preventing you from getting the ultimate fulfillment of being fasted. It's not preventing you from getting other things. You're probably going to experience weight loss. You're probably going to experience, you know, a, a good fat metabolism, things like that. But the fasting state is so much more than that. It's so much more than ketosis. It's so much more than weight loss. It's so much more than mental clarity. It is a holistic transformation of the body uh, to a state that only is accomplished by being in total lack of exogenous nutrition, which allows you to turn over your internal nutrition and to rewire yourself neurologically and metabolically. Beautiful. Here's something I struggle with is just the concept of water. 
a lot of us perceive water as being sort of a neutral substance. But I know, at least where I live in Los Angeles, the water here is yeah. might as well be tea from all the chemicals. That's absolutely true. I, and, you know, there's, you know, you could look at the top 10 prescription drugs and realize that they're in the water system because there's no way to flocculate those out of the waste treatment. And even, you know, so... So the, that is the problem. And that's why when I fast, I treat myself since I'm saving money on meals and I go out and buy, you know, only spring, spring bottled water. And if you really want to get, you know, way down the rabbit hole, then you can go and get some, you know, deuterium depleted water from Russia that, you know, costs you, you know, 20 bucks or whatever. And, but that, you know, also further decreases the amount of deuterium that is now hyper present in the environment, which, you know, has a problem for the proton pump and, 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 and mitochondria and electrons. So you, you could go all the way down that rabbit hole, but you know, to a certain extent, you got to figure out good enough, <laughs> you know, is it good enough? So, you know, I wouldn't drink tap water with chlorine and all that kind of stuff. Cause we just know it's, it's not good even when we're not fasting. Um, but you can get by with, you know, whatever your favorite brand of bottled water it is, it's spring bottle, and that shouldn't be an issue. Cool. I like, Without being brand, con I mean, I like uh, Mountain Mountain Valley, you know, Avion, Volvic, uh, you know, Fiji, whatever, Tainant. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Um, and the other thing is when you're when you're fasting and drinking water, um, because we know that you can dry fast without water, only drink when you're thirsty. There is no it's absurd the way people think you got to drink a lot of water they're out of their minds you don't have to drink a lot of water in fact you're 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 accelerating flushing minerals out of your system um so just drink when you're thirsty and 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 let your body lead don't don't impose these external edicts about what you should and shouldn't do if intuition got you into fasting intuition will take you through to the other side so and really listen to yourself because if anything the one of the most important benefits is that you get to know yourself more deeply, know the complete you, the holistic potentials of you, and to begin to work with that in a conscious state. And that's the greatest gift of all. So, you know, you know, don't be prescriptive, but understand you, what your choices mean and the implications of them. Wow. Yes. I'm going to do my next fast in the winter. Winter fast will be water only. I'll, I'll investigate. I'm using a, a Berkey currently to kind of filter the tap water. And I feel like that'll be good enough. Yeah. Like I said, good enough is good enough, right? <laughs> yep. yep. And, um, oh, so that was the other, the other topic of, of mineralization, adding salt to the water. I know that can be helpful, but maybe not in a fast. No. See, what you're trying to do is you let you, what you're, what you're trying to do is give your body no exogenous signals. Okay. So if the body's getting salty water, it's going to go, oh, shit, I need to adapt to a salty water environment, which isn't normal unless you're going to be drinking salty water your whole life, then drink salty water. But don't do anything special for the fasting state. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous the amount of bro science BS out there about what you need to do when you're fasting. No, really? So tell me, a thousand years ago, people were taking snake juice? Really? Is that what they were doing? <laughs> You know, they were, you know, they were dosing with magnesium. Really? They were doing that? And how do they know? So, I mean, it's just absolute, it's absolute crap. And it's just basically people trying to sell something to an art that requires nothing. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's absolutely absurd. You know, the only thing that you could benefit from in fasting is somebody with a little bit more experience and wisdom helping you to not make missteps um, and to prepare yourself and your environment to have the most comfortable and graceful experience when you're fasting. And that's only like a one-time thing. If you're listening, you don't need to hear that again. You know, so there's very, very little that you need. The body and humans and humanity have been programmed to fast effectively. Boom. It's part of our body. So it doesn't need, an, it doesn't need any commercial instructions or supplements to do it well. Beautiful. I'm excited to take this next step deeper into the practice because I've been using salt in the, in the water to help, you know, the electrolyte system and, and, and magnesium uh, just out of being misguided. Yeah, I mean, exactly. When you think about who came up with that, how do they fucking know? Excuse my French. How do they know? They, I mean, they, that's such BS. It's like, you know, it's people taking a one PubMed, you know, study on six people 
that's not even really relevant. And like extrapolating, extrapolating what the study didn't say, because studies never say that. They never say take something. They say what we found was this in these unique laboratory conditions. <laughs> okay, great. So yeah. it's just it's just nuts. I mean, the the best the best lab you have is the one that you're thinking out of right now. And the only thing that matters in that lab is how responsible and disciplined you are to being co-creative, careful, and, and supportive of your body. And your body is going to tell you. Your body will tell you, not your mind. Your mind is full of crap. Your mind is full of a lot of social media garbage, not because you're gullible or stupid, just because we're immersed in it. You can't escape it. And it comes at us from every angle, from well-meaning and good and well-intentioned friends and family and, and so-called experts and professionals. And they're always trying to tell you something, load you up with stuff that they themselves haven't done, typically. So, you know, you got somebody lecturing you on how to fast correctly who's never fasted a day in their life. And thank you for your help. I appreciate that. Um, and, and so, it, you know, it's really hard to disassociate what is, what is just made up crap from really what is proven practice. Um, because there's very little of it out there. And for good reason, there's no money in it. I would be very surprised to see millions of dollars spent on studies for fasting. It would be insane to see that because nobody would put that money out there because there would be no way to get an ROI on it. None. None. Yeah. You know, in fact, what you're doing is you're disintermediating all the medical industry and the pharma, big pharma industry by being a proponent of fasting because fasting says, I don't need any of that. Right. Yep. That just resonates so deeply with me where so many people are on these, you know, pharmaceutical interventions or relying on, on the medical industrial complex to, to give us medicine that could be easily resolved through just fasting. Yeah. I mean, it, I agree with that. I have to show a little, I mean, I used to be a cold, heartless person. <laughs> so I have to show some empathy and I have to say like, look, um, even though physiologically fasting is applicable, probably about, you know, 99.9% of, of the population, there's only people with a rare um, genetic mutation that can't metabolize ketones, shouldn't fast. And then the others are not necessarily physiological, it's more episodic. So like, you know, pregnant and lactating women shouldn't fast. Um, people who have severe malnutrition shouldn't fast. And then of course, people who are, who are psychologically or mentally ill, with an inability to control themselves shouldn't fast. And that you might include in that people who are polemic and, and have other types of eating disorders. So they, they shouldn't fast. Um, but aside from that, everybody else is fully physically capable of not only fasting, but benefiting from it in a, in a significant way. And so I'm not proselytizing for everybody to do that because I know in reality, even though everybody is eligible there are so many obstacles and barriers for them to do it. Um, and my heart goes out to them because oftentimes that's circumstantial and not self-imposed, you know, so it's sort of like it, it, it's a huge burden for, for folks to really approach and to be, um, to be successful in something that takes a whole degree of, of, of discipline and flies in the face of all social support of all commercial endeavor of, of, you know, your identity, um, you know, you have to be incredibly brave or, or lack options <laughs> and be forced into doing it. And, and that's, a, that's, you know, the, the people who do fast are often, this is their last resort. You know, they came to this because everything else failed them. And so, you know, I have great empathy and, and, and sympathy for people who are getting by in the commercial trade of big pharma and, and medicine and it's working for them, but not ideally. I don't know of anybody who's excited by having another prescription drug. I don't know anybody who's excited by suppressing symptoms, but finding underlying disease progression. So, but I feel, I, I hear them and I feel that they're stuck. So, you know, I don't, I've stopped proselytizing in the sense of thinking this is right for everybody because I've come to realize that, that, the, that the prohibitions against it are significant and that not everyone has the opportunity or the strength or the, the lack of options um, to really, to really take it on. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really well formulated perspective and I appreciate you sharing it because it, it is something I, I do feel sometimes like 
it can be really passionate about, but also sort of tight, tight shutting it down a little bit because you know, it's like a tricky balance sharing it with, with people, uh, the power and, and the practice of it. Yeah, it really is. And I stopped. I mean, it was so funny because I, I was surprised when I started fasting, you, when I first started, like when I had this medical condition, how hostile the response was to my fasting. It blew me away. People were literally angry. I remember after my first fast and everything, and I was starting to turn this into a practice, I had a client pull me out of a meeting in a, in a, in a meeting room and said, you have to stop. I was like, what? You have to stop this fasting now. If you don't stop, I'm, I'm going to call in the, the medical, you, you have to, I mean, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, literally. So, so it, it is, it is very unsettling and threatening into to certain perspectives. And I've recognized that I don't hide it. Um, but I don't advertise it. I'm not, you know, like the proud flag bearer of like, Hey, I'm fasting now. Like I used to be when I was much more of a dick than I am now. Um, but it's, it is something that we need to be, we need to be careful. I can tell you a little story about my, my mentor, Dr. Stanley Bass. So he ran fasting sanatoriums in, in New York state and, and, and was treating, treating people with fasting for, for decades. And then, um, in around the fifties, he and his colleagues were, were being, um, sued and, 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 and chased, uh, largely by the, uh, the American medical association and others for, for practicing medicine. And what happened was, is that they could no longer offer their services without extreme liability exposure as, as quote unquote doctors. And so what they did is was very interesting is that they formed, they formed a church a religion, and they excerpted every every phrase and part in the Bible that had referenced fasting, and made that their charter. And they said that they were practicing a religion, and that allowed them to escape prosecution and to continue to do fasting. Wow! So, yeah, which is also what I did when I when I back in two thousand I registered Purist Vitality as a church, and I became a minister. So whenever I talk to people, I say, look, this is, this is our practice. This is our religion. And, and here's the prescription for our, you know, for worship. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of some, there's some churches that will do that to be able to sort of give, you know, plant medicine sacraments as well, which is a traditional religious expression as well in a lot of cultures. Absolutely right. And it makes good sense. And if they're going to give us that out because we need it and we do, we should take it. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. So I guess back backtracking a little bit, there is one one aspect that seems to arise often is is sleeping while while on a fast. How how do you approach that, especially for people who are new to the practice and, and have a lot of difficulty? It depends. I mean, like I sleep like a baby sometimes, like a baby, just, just constant straight through. And other times, though, you because of the surplus energy, you know, you, it's really hard to sleep. And so I just rest. I treat it as a convalescence, the entire fast. I try. Well, let me put it this way. There's, I fast for three reasons. So there's what we would call like basic hygiene is a, just a constant tune up. So I might fast a couple of days here or there. I'm too lazy and I have young kids and a family to be religious about it to my church, doing it every week, every weekly worship, like I used to do when I was single, but you know, now it's catches catch can it's like major holidays. Um, and so there's that. And then there's what I would call therapeutic fasting. And therapeutic fasting is where you come in and use fasting as an inter intervention from being sick or illness or having an accident. And like, if I, if I, you know, I, I still play competitive soccer. So if I get a bruise or something, um, you know, or get, get, you know, to tweak a muscle, I'll fast and it'll take care of it. If I get sick, like for COVID, I got COVID, I lost my sense of smell and everything. I mean, immediately dropped into fasting. I got my sense of smell and everything back in six days you know, while fasting. So there's the basic hygiene, there's a therapeutic, and then there's a third area that I fast, which um, is a little bit more elite, and that's for athletic performance improvement. So I'll actually train in the fastest state for more um, recruitment of power. Uh, because when you shift into, um, when you shift into using fat for fuel, you have amazing endurance and 
and repeat sprint ability, but you lo lose a lot of top end. So I'll actually fast, you know, over a week and I'll be training while I'm fasted, not dry fasting, but water fasting, obviously, because of hydration. And then under that load, my body will adapt. And then when I come back in the fed state, I'll be that much more capable and fit to play at a higher level of performance. So those are the sort of three areas that I work on. And within each of those areas, like the shorter multi-day fast, sleeping is not a problem at all. The more extended therapeutic fast, sleeping becomes more of an issue the longer you go if energetically. But if your body's working on an illness or something, it's the opposite. You're actually exhausted and tired because your body's really working to address what's wrong. And so I'll probably sleep even better than I've ever slept before. And then for athletic purposes, I tend to sleep pretty well because I'm out there, you know, exercising and then coming back and bam. Um, but for the most part, if I'm not doing athletic performance fasting, it's rest. It's rest. Always the, the watchword and the, and the principle should be rest, convalesce. Don't do anything. Don't exercise. Don't go to the gym. You know, don't do any of that stuff if you're therapeutic fasting ever. Rest, lie in bed, nap, sleep, whatever you need to do. If it's just for one or two days or three days, it's really irrelevant. Or you're not, your body's not really under any, you know, sort of issue. You're, you're you're really not even into the fasting state as a male until after about seventy two hours on average. So it's it's I wouldn't even worry about it. Beautiful. The only other aspect of this that, that comes to mind for anyone listening who's is going to be new to fasting or have trouble sleeping would just be really careful about blue light at night. I find that really disrupts my sleep, which is also just the principle sort of every day. For sure. I think Huberman right now in his labs are, are speaking a lot about having um, natural light exposure early in the morning, Yes, you know, and even, even like looking into the sun at low horizon, low angle sun and, and getting as much of that as possible and being bright light during the day as much as possible. And then very dim or, or dark light at night. So just, I guess, to, to cue your, your, your circadian uh, rhythms in your, in your biological clock. Um, so yeah, I mean, the good sleep practices should be done all the time, not just in fasting. Yes. It is funny with the sunlight is I, we're consuming the light in a real way. And when there's no, when I'm not consuming food, I feel I'm much more sensitive to the sunlight I'm consuming. Like it feels so much nicer to be out in the sun when, when I'm not eating versus, and, and I'm much more sensitive to that, to that blue light at night. Um, you really do feel that acutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to just, you know, be incandescent. Uh, and then it's also, it's also very interesting is that fasting will naturally put you into a, a sleep, want to sleep groggy state as soon as it gets dark. I find that there's always that early window of go to bed. But if I stay up past that until like, you know, nine, 10 in the evening, then all of a sudden you get that second energy and it's really hard to get to sleep. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. The other sort of loose end that you mentioned earlier was was breaking the fast and, and how important that is. I know there's, you know, one way would just be to eat all the food in sight, but I, I know that's definitely inadvisable, especially after after a long fast. They've got to continue on the the sort of intentional approach to make sure the healing happens. Yeah, there's a couple of points that are now more emergent and unique to our modern times that weren't necessarily true. 50 years ago. Um, the first is, is that a uh, long fast, a long fast is when it was commonly being used as, as a descriptor when my mentor was doing the sanitariums and all that stuff was began at 40 days. So today, and I had conversations with him about this, he lived to 102, just passed away two years ago. We were talking about how, how the world has changed, how the environment has gotten so much more polluted, microplastics, all that kind of stuff, that it's it's now almost, it's inadvisable to fast longer than 10, 15 days, just simply because of the hardship of the body at that level of refinement. You can't, your body can never get more pure than the environment it's in. So because of that, also the tongues don't, your tongue doesn't fully clear. It was very common you know, decades ago for when a person was fasting in nature for their tongue to fully clear. And that was one of the signals of when to end the fast, you know, get nice and clear and puff and fluffy and boom, and then you come out. But now you, you, you see that the edge is clear and the tip clears, but you still have that center column of, of, of chalk or whatever it is coming out. And that really ever does recede all the way out to being totally gone. 
And that's, that's a primary indicator of the environment and the corruption that we have in the environment that we have to deal with. So just continuing to fast, hoping for that to happen, won't happen. Um, so the long fast nowadays is probably anything over 10 days. And, you know, when, you know, when I think of what's safe to do without being hurt by breaking the fast correctly, you know, you could probably fast for five days and do whatever you want and not hurt yourself. You go past that. And I remember I had a client, she's actually was girlfriend, um, you know, became a girlfriend. Uh, she fasted and then she was like, you know, broke her fast on the ninth day. And then she was like, I'm gonna eat some chocolate. I'm gonna have some pain. I mean, just boom, 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 boom. And she was in such excruciating pain and that, you know, I said, look, you just, you're going to have to fast again until the pain goes away and then do it, do it an extra day. And she did that. So it took her two days to get over that. If you fast longer than that and you, you try to come, come back being reckless with how you eat and what you eat, you can do some serious harm to your body, not just discomfort. And, you know, that also, even if it doesn't harm you permanently, but will more than likely invalidate a lot of the gains you had you know, while fasting, if you were fasting for gains. So, so there's that. And, you know, breaking the fast, there's no real, you have to eat this food or that food. There are things that make it easier. And there are things that and it's not so easy. There's a whole rabbit hole to go down there, you know, in terms of, you know, describing the parameters for breaking a fast well. Yeah. And from what I've come across that seems like basic principles of eating whole foods and, you know, minimally processed bone broth seems to be a, a present uh, sort of suggestion to, to begin to reignite the digestive system and revitalize the body. And even, even meat, keeping that maybe away from the first couple of days as, as it could be difficult to digest with a, in a body with the depleted digestive enzymes and, and less sort of digestive fire and, you know, maintaining even like a lot of vegetables, cruciferous vegetables in the raw form could be difficult to digest. So really keeping it to more of a like bone broth, maybe egg yolks could be, you know, minimally cooked eggs could be supportive or, or just different fruits and berries. The big thing about fasting is that it's, it's very temporary. Um, I always tell people diet is destiny. So I wouldn't break my fast on anything that I wouldn't want to be eating, you know, as part of my diet. And in fact, breaking a fast is a great way to upgrade and norm yourself on a better diet, if that's what you're trying to accomplish, because your your tongue and your taste buds will, will, will adapt to that sensitivity and you will know what to crave that's healthy. Without a doubt, whole foods and foods that aren't molested and, you know, or, or you know, highly processed for sure. But I would say that even if you weren't fasting, right, we all agree on that. In terms of macronutrients and vegan, vegetarian, omnivore, carnivore, they all can work. It just depends on what your intention are for, for eating that way. Um, you know, some people prefer to eat by ideological reasons, which is fine. That's their choice and not for nutrition and, and physical health. Other people choose to maximize, you know, athletic performance. And so they eat a certain way to get the body that they want. And that's fine. So I really don't have any hard, you know, restrictions about what to eat other than the highest quality natural foods that that is naturally edible to the body that don't take a lot of processing because that reduces the amount of work every time you eat something that your body doesn't recognize it has to do something with it we only have a limited set of enzymes that are key to digesting certain foods effortlessly and if we don't have those enzymes then we either have to store it in our fat as a toxin or else try to get it out of the body which is extra work so why do you want to make yourself do extra work? I mean, do you show up to work and saying, Hey, I want extra work today. Oh, well, why would you do that to your insides? So, so getting that figured out is helpful. Um, and then, you know, obviously if, if you're fasting for the intention of wellness and to cure or help you overcome something, then you want to continue the therapeutic effects of being in the fasting state with the least troublesome diet and the one that has the, probably the most assimilable nutrition um, that you need. And for me, um, that's, that's omnivore. It's not, it's not vegan. It's not carnivore. It's, it's omnivore. 
and it has to be in some form or fashion realistic to the cultural and social mindset of the person doing it. You know, I mean, I've eaten every possible way you can eat. I've eaten everything from, you know, vegan to raw vegan to all the way to 100% carnivore for periods of time. Um, and, I, and I absolutely can unequivocally say that that raw omnivore, 100% raw omnivore, which is one I did the longest, you know, it was over a year eating that way, was is without a doubt the most um, powerful diet there is it's just it's easy the body recognizes the food digestion is effortless the energy's off the charts um you just have to get over the the, the taboos of eating raw meats and and you know and, and 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 organs and everything else kind of like an indigenous person would um which is essentially what you're mimicking uh so that's the that's the most efficacious and then everything else depending upon what you do with the food is energetically a step down and creates more work for the body and you can feel it there's a huge difference between being 99% omnivore raw and 100 you just feel it wow so those those are just sort of principles without prescriptions the only prescriptions i would give people if they do a longish fast fasting for 9 or 10 days is to make sure that you are incredibly uh, disciplined in the quantity and frequency of eating. And it doesn't really matter which macros you choose, just make sure they're very small. And until, until you make a bowel movement that's solid and perfect, um, don't radically increase your, your, your intake. You should be titrating very slowly until the digestive system um, becomes fully functional and your body's able to handle the waste and, you know, watch, is this okay to cuss on this podcast? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so just keep an eye on your shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very, we got very, very clear markers for when we're healthy, you know, and, and I'm telling you, you eat a, if you eat an omnivore raw diet, you don't need toilet paper anymore. Your bowel movements come out perfect. And there's no residue. It's insane. No way. But but when you think about it, do we have toilet paper for millions of years? Yeah, no. No. So somehow we were we were getting by without having to wipe our butts <laughs> every time we took a poop. And you know, the body is designed to to make perfect poops if you put the right things into it. And that's it's it's shocking to 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 experience it. It's like, oh my God. And it's just no strain, no pain, no nothing, just bam. And it's, and it's regular. It's like, you're not, you're not going like some people go eight times a day, Yeah, you know, or they take large runny dumps and they think it's normal. It's, <laughs> it's like, no, it's not normal. I mean, that's normal for you, but it's not what the body wants to be doing. Yeah. We're way down the rabbit hole, but suffice <laughs> it to say, uh, restricted and highly disciplined amount the biggest problem people have coming off of a fast is being ravenous and wanting a lot of stimulation. And the way you fight against that is being disciplined on, on the quantity, but also narrowing the scope of what you're eating. Don't put a lot of variety into your recovery diet, because once you do, it's just like you're, I need more and more and more and more and more. So stay focused, you know, limit yourself beyond a mono diet or whatever it is, whatever you want to choose and just do that thing until your body comes, comes back online. And then you'll find that that ravenous craving will, you know, probably peak after two to three days in recovery and then it taper off and be non-existent. And if you can, if you can stay on a disciplined diet for, you know, 40 days after you fast, you're totally liberated from all the bad habits. Nothing that you've ever done before um, will come back to haunt you. You won't crave those Cheetos or anything else. Um, so, but you've got to have that investment up front to get that payoff on the back end. Yeah, it's tricky. It's it's so difficult to maintain that discipline, especially when after the fast where everything tastes so amazing. I want to, you know, yeah. just all these sensations are just like fireworks. Like this blueberry is just like <laughs> amazing. It's true. It's true. Yeah. That's why fasting is easy and breaking a fast well is hard. Yeah. yeah. That's, that is the biggest thing challenge that people have and that's where you need to have the most discipline and support is in breaking the fast and if you can do that well 
you've 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 you're master of the universe if you can break a fast well you can do anything that's definitely still a challenge for me but slowly each each session each season i've, I've been doing the multi-day fasting sort of seasonally and uh, each time i'm getting a little bit better at it haven't quite haven't quite figured that part out yet but i think i think i'm getting you know making making progress on it it's easiest when your environment is supportive of it so i'll tell you this so i had an easy easy time and then i got married and had kids and now i still have the same problems that i had you know breaking a fast i'm like oh, the smells families having you know and i just i just you know i want to participate not just for the taste but because of the communion of being with family right yeah. and so when you fast you are apart you are so far apart from everybody else you're in a, it's like you're on a moonshot and and uh you've got to come back to earth and that takes time you got to re-enter and all that kind of stuff so it is very very hard and unless your environment is aligned with supporting you on that re-entry it can be excruciatingly impossible um to do it well so you know the environment is probably the number one most consequential factor in fasting well and breaking the fast correctly and and without that alignment it's you know you, the odds are way against you way against you you may be able to to grind through it but you're gonna not be happy about it and everybody else around you is not going to like you very much <laughs> <laughs> i got it done <laughs> at what cost <laughs> yeah it's and it's it's so so powerful and fascinating to me and i'm really curious about the the church that you started to to help others sort of access this to help myself not get sued <laughs> I mean, I was going to help people regardless. The church is there to say, like, you know, well, he's practicing medicine. He's no, no, I'm not. It's a religion. You know, you don't like it. Go worship somewhere else. You know, that's it. It's not a cult. You, you know, it's voluntary. In fact, you got to pay dues. <laughs> so we're proving that you 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 cared. <laughs> I'm not out on college campuses with a bullhorn. I'm not, you know, proselytizing, not banging drums, none of that stuff. Uh, no. And mostly, you know, it, it's interesting. Most of my um, my clients, which is, uh, I do not have a big client. I don't. It's more of a lifestyle thing. But most of the people I work with are aging athletes um, who have really damaged and, and, and crippled bodies from from you know years of performance and training, and and you know they either have chronic pains that they want to help reverse, which I you know can absolutely do for them, or they're like me, they're aging athletes who just don't want to give it up yet and want to still compete. So, you know, I would never be able to, you know, I'm 61. I would never be able to play soccer competitively like I do today. And until I tore my quad, I was, you know, on you know, here in Austin in the, in the, playing in the Premier League um, with open men's and with the 20 year olds, which is like, you know, five or six years ago. But after I tore my quad, I've, you know, and then COVID came and I just, so now I'm just playing over 30 and uh, what are you going to do? So I absolutely credit fasting and, and an improved diet for, for my capacity to do this. And we should be realistic about this. I'm not anything special. I also think that the reason I'm able to play over 30 is not because I'm so amazing, but it's because how degraded and corrupt everybody else is. And, and I don't mean that as, as sort of a criticism of their lifestyle choices because we don't have a choice. It's just because of the, the food supply, the lifestyle and everything that we are, we're vulnerable to. You have to really actively um, work uh, to overcome those influences and really cultivate your body in a way that will have you closer to realizing its full potential. I don't even know what my full potential would be if I was living in a pristine area in Bhutan with the highest degree of happiness and all that kind of stuff, right? We, we have no idea. So all I know is that given what everybody else's status quo is, you know, and, and I'm 61, I'm punching way above my weight. And, and I'm only able to do that because of fasting and having a better diet. I don't even go out and train. I just show up for practices and, you know, play on Sundays. Anybody could do it. It's not that remarkable. But again, could do it. Yes. 
and this, this, that's what I love about it is it's so accessible. It's free. It might, I mean, you might even be making money, right? You know, because you're not spending it on food, you know, anyone can, can do it. And, and it's such a powerful tool. And where else are we going to, I mean, the only close subsidiary might be something like meditation or, or, you know, movement practice out in nature where we've got these accessible tools that are so important, so needed at this point in, you know, in the evolution of our species where everyone is sick, it seems like everyone is suffering and, and these tools are available for us to sort of alleviate that. It's just, we've got to figure out a way to present it in a way that's like approachable and, and also just like doable and, and able to be put into play. And I, I definitely appreciate you sharing a lot of these these tips and tricks with, with, with anyone listening and, and, and online and, yeah. and your commitment to this, despite, you know, the, the social pressures and, and the cultural stigmas that, that I'm sure you've had to face o- over the years. And well, yeah, I'm kind of a contrarian, but I mean, in the beginning, it was, it was, I had no other option. And then once I found out how wonderful and beneficial it was, it was like, hey, hey, hey nobody's taking this candy away from this baby. I'm doing this. I didn't give a damn about anybody's opinion. I'm like, you know, go stuff it, you know? Uh, so, and then I was, you know, the, the, the typical arc, I became obsessed with trying to understand why. And so I got very academic and got into a lot of research and tried to, dig beneath it and, and understanding, you know, all this sort of stuff. And what I realized very, well, not very quickly, what I realized after a period of time was that the, the, that our understanding of the human body is incredibly limited. Our understanding of fasting is, is minuscule to say the best. We talk about very narrow categories of ketosis or, you know, you know, autolysis, apoptosis, you know, all this kind of, you know, cell stuff. So, so, you know, autophagy, all these little buzzwords as if, as if they're the be all end all. And we're kind of, you know, the king of the mountain. And we, we just, we, we, we're, we're not even a pimple on the butt of what the body is. And so I stopped really trying to, to pursue that because it, it really wasn't nutritious. It didn't add any value. And in fact, it was, it was, it was actually disruptive to what was more important was me just simply emptying my mind and experiencing my body and then taking notes from what my body was telling me. That was much more powerful information, much more usable and actionable and translatable. Because what I learned about myself was also true for others. So I found that as a practitioner, if you pay attention to your practice as opposed to the, the theory and the narrative around it, you can become much more knowledgeable and much more wise about it uh, than trying to hang your credentials on something just because everybody else says it's so. Um, but again, that then turns it into almost like a martial arts esoteric practice, right? You've got to come to my dojo to learn my practice, um, because nobody else is teaching it, or maybe they're not teaching it this way. And so there's a little bit of that, which is unfortunate because, um, you know, the, the underlying principles are universal and they are accessible, uh, but it, but for people just applying them. And, and so that's what I think the real power of any dojo is. It doesn't matter which dojo you go to, just go to get the fundamentals, but make sure they're the true fundamentals. And that's my only real qualm and, and criticism about a lot of the sort of social media out there is it really doesn't describe what, what first of all, it misses the definition of fasting. Anything is fasting now. Oh, I'm technology fasting. Really? Okay, that's good for you. Is there other word you could use? You put your phone down. Let's try that. You put your phone down for a while. Okay. Um, so there's a, there's an abusiveness and a, and a lack of rigor in, in understanding what the word means and how that translates into physical behavior and then the results that should beneficially come from that behavior. Um, so, but if people, you know, care enough to investigate it, they'll figure it out and get to it. Um, it's not hidden, but it's certainly not readily available. Yeah. It's been a really powerful force in my life, and and it's great connecting with you to hear the transformative power it's it's had in your life. I, I get a sense that we've only really scratched the surface in this conversation, but you've been really generous with with your time and with with your perspective on everything, and I really appreciate it. Is is there any sort of last message? Anything that draws you to fasting is valid. You don't have to come to fasting for a specific reason. If you're drawn to it, explore it. If you're going to explore it, I tell everybody this, shut the mind up and let the body lead. Pay attention to the body and what the body's telling you. Don't come to fasting with a prescriptive mindset of saying, I have to do this, that, or the other thing. And also 
the obsession to measure fasting in hours is absolutely insane. Don't do it. It's just going to drive you mad. And it's not a performance art. If you fasted 10 hours and then fasted 12 the next day, it, that's not a pat your back kind of thing. It doesn't matter. What matters is whether or not your body has a physiological change that you can recognize and feel good about. And that might happen in 12 or 24 or 48 or 72 or whatever. So if you want to keep track of fasting, just as a reference point, just do it in terms of days. How many days did you fast? And a day is a complete day from waking until sleep of abstinence. If you, if you fast on Monday and then break your fast at noon on Tuesday, you didn't fast two days. That's one day, one day. And that's okay. Because there's no, you're not better if you fast 10 versus one. There's no better unless your body needs it and you feel better at the end of that. So the psychological obsession with trying to measure everything is counterproductive to fasting. The assumption that fasting more is better than fasting less is also counterproductive because your body will give you signals when to stop. And you should take those signals. You should never grind. If, it's, if you find it strenuous and I said, I'm going to fast three days and you find the second day intolerable, stop, break your fast. It's okay. Because I guarantee you the next time, the second day won't be as bad. And what your body is telling you is that you need to do this in the sense of a practice and not in the sense of a one and done performance art. So think of fasting as part of what you do in the same way of washing or brushing your teeth or going to the gym. It's just something that you do on a periodic basis. That's part of your maintenance that makes your life better because it does and it will, and it will always pay dividends always. Um, if you give it the attention and the care and the lovingness that, that you deserve. So that's all I got for right now. Beautiful. Rob, <laughs> thank you. My pleasure. You're so very welcome case. And, and thank you. I really appreciate you chatting with me today. Absolutely. And at, at some point in the future, I'd definitely like to, to have another conversation when we can dive deeper. In. Anytime.